and welcome to our Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We hope everyone voted and is staying safe and sane during this election season, but the art world has not paused and we're excited to share this week's headlines with you. A few things we want to touch on briefly before we dive into our Top 5 this morning. As a follow-up to our emerging news story from last week, Art News has reported that Gagosian director Sam Orlovsky was fired following an investigation into allegations of serious misconduct, primarily targeted against women in the gallery. The investigation is still ongoing and the gallery wants to hear from anyone else with relevant information. It's encouraging to see that these allegations were acted upon so fast and the gallery made a note to thank those who came forward for their bravery and honesty, a sentiment we want to echo. Additionally, the first iteration of TFAF Online has now closed. We will be sharing our thoughts on next week's Monday Chatter check-in, so be sure to tune in and look forward to that. Yes, it was a very cool virtual art fair, so we're excited to share our thoughts. Yes. Our first headline is a little bit of election news and comes to us from the art newspaper, where it was reported that, quote, from art to doing their part, U.S. museums provide a vital community service by acting as polling sites. Across the U.S., dozens of museums have turned their lobbies into polling sites for Election Day. Many institutions have even gone so far as to develop key initiatives and make curatorial decisions to affirm citizens in doing their civic duty while in line to vote. I think this is such a cool headline. At the Brooklyn Museum, which is so close to us here in New York, voters were greeted by an Edward Shai work titled Our Flag from 2017. And this work portrays a windswept and torn U.S. flag, which a museum creator commented that the work is meant to provide a provocative backdrop and serve as a powerful symbol of our current political system. Very situational. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And on the West Coast, a director from the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles released a statement that read, Museums, quote, are the new town centers, community hubs, and meeting halls, and it is critical to our mission to be a place where people can participate in democracy. So fitting you talk about the LA one. (laughs) But another one in the West Coast is the Legion of Honor Museum in San Francisco, which just reopened last week, and they went so far as to offer all voters free admission to the museum after casting their vote. I love that. It's like a two-in-one. Yes, it's so cool. I also think because this election is in the middle of a pandemic, it's so nice to see local institutions that are already equipped to Mm -hmm. handle large crowds in like a socially distant manner participate in the election like where people might feel much safer going i agree and it is really cool like the san francisco one did offer free admission for everyone who was voting there um yeah i just love that but i love also that museums are already a site for history so it is really great to see so many encouraging um participations like this in this historic election yeah we love to see museums stepping up and the more people who go to museums the better right? Mm -hmm. The art world being involved. (laughs) So our second story of the day comes to us from Complex, where it was reported that, quote, Takashi Murakami transforms room at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Murakami used his iconic patterns to adorn the walls, doors, and even the CTPT scanners of the room doctors use to identify bone and joint problems or other conditions like cancer and heart disease at the Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Yes, and he posted the results on his Instagram, and it honestly looks amazing. The wallpaper that he used is the one that he's most well known for, the colorful flowers with like little smiley faces as the center and all that. Um, I think it's very tender. Yeah, like his most iconic motif. Exactly. So this art takeover was organized by 
Gagosian and RX Art, which is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to help children heal through the extraordinary power of visual art. Yes, I think this is so cute and a great way to cheer the children and their families who are visiting. You know, as a child, it is kind of scary to go to the hospital. So it is especially very meaningful because more than 219,000 children from the U.S. and across the world are treated at the Children's National Hospital every year. Yes, and Murakami has been doing a lot of charity work. This past October, he donated a piece of artwork for a treasure hunt that took place in the Grand Palais in Paris. Yes, and it actually, I'm so sad we missed that and that we couldn't attend because um, it seemed like such a cool event. It was organized by Peroton Gallery um, and they hit 20 works of art by 20 different artists. And if you found one of the works in this treasure hunt, you were allowed to keep it. And the event was free. You just had to register. So imagine like you go on the stretcher hunt and then you like leave with a Murakami for free. Amazing. Yes. We would all <laughs> love to have one for free. <laughs> yes. And then this like art takeover in public mm-hmm. spaces actually reminds me of another headline from this week. It came from Artnet mm-hmm. and the headline read, quote, the Brooklyn Nets will adopt jerseys inspired by Jean-Michel Basquiat for its upcoming season. Wow, this is so cool. And I actually like, skimmed over this headline, but I should have looked more into it because I love the idea. And I mean, Basket was from Brooklyn, so this is super appropriate. So images of the jersey have linked, have, I'm sorry, leaked <laughs> online, but have been since confirmed and they show Brooklyn Nets in what is reminiscent of his like signature handwriting, yes. along with his well-known crown emblem just above the NBA logo. Yes, and a couple of the Nets players have already expressed their love for Basket and their excitement to play in this jersey it might be a reason for you to go yeah no (laughs) basket is one of my favorite artists and i'm so not into basketball but i might have to just get into basketball to attend these games with the cool jerseys but um jokes aside i think it's really cool to see art becoming more mainstream and infiltrating everyday life spaces because it is a way um to like make art accessible and it is what we're trying to do with curated chatter so it's just great to see art being you know shown in that manner it also reminds me of the Basquiat line that coach the Mm -hmm. fashion brand did where they put the logos on bags and sweatshirts Mm -hmm. so there's definitely this idea of like an infiltration into other realms which is really exciting I also think the Basquiat estate is like very liberal with their copyrights because a lot of brands have used Basquiat yes things in their as part of their collections like Uniqlo has on that too in the past unlike Banksy (laughs) yes unlike Banksy (laughs) shall we move on to the third story yes Our third story is from Artnet News, which revealed that, quote, an art historian discovered a cheeky self-portrait that a stonemason left as an Easter egg inside a famous Spanish cathedral 800 years ago. So British art historian Jennifer Alexander was conducting a stone-by-stone analysis of the Santiago de Compostela Cathedral in northwest Spain when she came across the secret figure. The 11-inch drawing, which depicts a charming, almost goofy portrait of a stonemason, is an eastern Easter egg of sorts, which was laid by stonemasons in places where only other stonemasons would find them. What makes this example particularly noteworthy is that it went undiscovered for more than eight centuries inside of one of Europe's best-known cathedrals. Yeah, this is so, so crazy because 
Um, this site attracts hundreds of thousands of pilgrims every year, and it is one of the finest examples of Romanesque architecture in the world. So the fact that they didn't find it for so long is crazy. And it's like, it is up high and not that visible, right. but the fact that so many people have come over so mm-hmm. many years and never even noticed it is yeah. wild. So then the image is described as, quote, lovely image of a chap <laughs> hanging on to the middle of the Capitol as if his life depended on it. She also added that, quote, he's got a nice little smile he's pleased with himself he's splendidly carved with a strongly characterized face so funny the way she describes it right yes um sadly the identity of the sculpture responsible for this image will remain unknown as stone means masons who would have acted both as engineers and contractors in the construction of buildings like this cathedral often went uncredited in all the documentation surrounding the building yeah and what i also found so interesting is there is a tradition of very like important stone Mm -hmm. masons being allowed to carve images of themselves into the work but because the creator of this one was a lower level craftsman he would have been expected to remain hidden and it was really primarily for other stonemasons not for the public's consumption right so he was a little bit of a rebel yes um i actually love this cathedral i a lot of family and friends like my family is from spain and a lot of family and friends like have done the pilgrimage i have not done it personally Mm -hmm. but um it is a really impressive cathedral and i have visited multiple times and would encourage anyone any of our listeners in Spain right now to visit if they haven't done so yeah and I wonder if they will do something to bring attention to, to this drawing yeah. that was found no we should go and see what's up and <laughs> we can see it curated <laughs> chatter field trip yeah <laughs> So I think we're ready to move on. Yes. Our fourth headline of the day comes to us from the art newspaper, where it was revealed that, quote, official plan to save Venice from flooding sacrifices St. Mark's Basilica for Magria, the industrial port of Venice. So this report begins with the story of Barbara Del Vicaro, who has an apartment on the ground floor of a palazzo on the Grand Canal. She recounts that she knows that when the water reaches 105 centimeters, her apartment will flood, as it did 10 times in 20. That's so many. (laughs) A similar thing happens to St. Mark's Basilica when the water level rises just six centimeters, its entrance floods. Yeah, and the reason this story is so important right now is because on Saturday, October 3rd, so just a little over a month ago, neither Barbara's apartment nor the basilica flooded because the mobile barriers at the three openings between the sea and the lagoon were raised for the first time in reaction to a flooding event. Yes, and according to various Italian newspapers, people were asked actually moved to tears when they realized that this part of the city was not going to flood like they had expected to as it had multiple times I mean I also would be moved to tears because I cannot imagine living like that with that fear of you know the places I love including my own home might flood at any time so I totally understand where this emotion was coming from it's so crazy when you see the photos Mm -hmm. of Venice flooded I can never believe it no I know we've both been and like yeah we obviously have never seen it flooded so it's really hard to believe and it's so hard to believe that they would just you know let the cathedral flood or like even you like what do you do like if your apartment floods 10 times I was like, how does one go about that? How do you live? Like, how did you prepare for it? <laughs> no, exactly. Like, do you remove your furniture? Like, where do you put it? <laughs> you have to live with no furniture. Yes. And also what is so crazy about this story is that Alberto Scotti, the engineer who designed the barriers, says that they won't be raised again this way until the end of 2021, which will affect 69% of the city. Yeah. So the barriers will be lifted in a different manner to protect the industrial poor, 
which right now the government is considering to be more important since it's the eighth biggest in Italy. Mm-hmm. It's strategically connected by rail and road and employs over 21,000 people and involves over 1,200 businesses. So economically, it yeah. might be more important, but for the people who are living <laughs> in the area that gets flooded, like I don't think they would agree with no. this. And it's also so sad for the Basilica because St. Mark's Basilica is actually the only survivor of full splendor of the Byzantinium Empire. And it is one of the most beautiful churches I've ever been to. So it's really hard to like wrap my head around the fact that they're like, oh, sorry, we need to save the economy, not this like (laughs) church that's full of gold and like beauty. And then what's also so upsetting about this is the controversy controversy that mm-hmm. surrounds it because there is a level of corruption and yes. people believe there might have been a way to save both the port and the basilica. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the barriers, which are formerly known as Mose, have been under construction since 2003, so almost for 20 years. And because of all the scandals and delays, the corruption, like you mentioned, its cost is estimated to be around 5 billion euro. So yeah, like I understand why they're saying like it could have saved both, but now because because of all this mess in Italy, like they have to pick one. Yeah. And this story is very technical. Yeah, like yeah. the article really goes into it. Mm-hmm. But I think what we really took away was how just a few centimeters difference of water yeah. makes when talking about these floods. Because you see these photos and in my mind, it's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. really such a small margin of error that makes mm-hmm. such a difference. No, it's crazy. Like the article really goes into detail over how many centimeters like has to it has to like rain in order for it to make a difference. And like you said, even the entrance of the church is like what six centimeters and then it's flooded which is so little (laughs) it's so little but it's so much at the same time (laughs) crazy but now is a great time to visit venice because of the lack of tourism it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be like all cleaned up in the canals now yes and actually right now is a perfect time to introduce our friday feature for the week because yes (laughs) um our friend ines hutchinson actually just went to venice and she said it was beautiful she's living in italy right now and she initiated a art platform to sell and buy art from emerging artists and this platform benefits um like different charities around the world but she's in venice right now she's studying um and she said she was having a great time we saw her photos and it looked beautiful Mm -hmm. and we were able to virtually interview her and it will be coming out tomorrow as audio Mm -hmm. due to the virtual nature (laughs) filming from italy and new york just proved to be a challenge so this week's friday feature will be just an audio yes but definitely stay tuned for that our fifth and final headline of this episode comes to us courtesy of art newspaper which reported that quote unexploded bombs the major hitch in this german castle's restoration before being restored the garden of the baubelsberg palace in potsdam must be probed for undetonated explosives (laughs) this is crazy but yes um located in southwest of berlin and a unesco world heritage site the park was in the flight path of the allied planes that bombarded berlin during the second world war and the potential dangers of lurking underground have long hampered potential restorations so restoration work has been partially completed on underground irrigation systems that feed artificial lakes a waterfall and fountains in the grounds Mm -hmm. but other plans that remain include renewing a network of paths recreating a dried out lake renovating the gatehouse and constructing a new building on the beach so they're really trying to add to the site probably to help tourism yes but it's super crazy because any intervention below the surface so like even digging a 
up tree stumps is costly and time consuming because a bomb detection team needs to be on the scene. So for safety reasons, it has been necessary to limit the size of lawnmowers and any worker used on the site. It's crazy to think just how sensitive the bombs are that you can't even like dig a little hole Mm -hmm. without cause for concern. It honestly reminded me of the Nemo movie. Like... You know, when they're like, um, what's it called? The um, sharks are like swimming and like they need to be so careful. They might detonate a bomb. But yeah, just, you know, throwing it back to when I was seven or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But these fears are not unfounded. Mm -hmm. As in 2015, a stray bomb was discovered and around 3000 people living nearby had to be evacuated so the bomb could safely be diffused. Yeah. And also it was discovered in a public beach, like or not a beach, but it was um, part of the palace and it was a public bathing site. So imagine if you're just swimming and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, never mind. You need to leave. (laughs) there's a bomb (laughs) about to defuse a bomb (laughs) crazy and then despite a pause due to the coronavirus lockdown bomb detecting vehicles have so far been able to cover about half the park and along with the help of aerial photographs they've already located 36 bomb craters oh my god i mean they also expect that the work will be completed as soon as next year so i think our curated cheddar field trip will have to include germany as well so (laughs) add it to the tour (laughs) (laughs) yes we'll go to spain and then germany But I think that's it for the headlines for the week. Yes. So moving on to my new favorite section, Mm -hmm. Emerging News. Our Emerging News Story of the Week comes to us from Art Market Monitor, which reported that, quote, Ansel Adams Trove poised to bring record at Sotheby's. So consisting of more than 100 works spanning the artist's career, this is the largest private collection of the American photographer's work. Owned by Texas oil executive David Arrington, the collection is estimated to sell between $4.2 and $6.2 million. The auction is scheduled for December 14th, and we definitely look forward to seeing the results. Yes. This auction was made for Paige. She loves photographs. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, wrote my thesis on editorial photography, and I interned at a photography department at an auction house. And I think people don't realize often that contemporary photographs do not fetch as high of a price Mm -hmm. as contemporary paintings do typically. So this auction value is very high and very very exciting for that. Yeah, we're excited to watch. And then finally today at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we will be going live on Instagram with Femino Focus. So if you're hearing this in time, be sure to tune in. Yeah, we're super excited to chat with Amira, a Mm co-founder, about being young female entrepreneurs. So definitely follow us at Curated Chatter so you get the notification when we go live. Yes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Bye.